So for example, when I was uh, in, when I first got to Israel, not first got to Israel, but a few months in when I realized what I was meant to be doing here, um, I was ready to manifest. And when I say manifest, I mean, I always mean co-create. Yeah. Co-create meaning I'm not the one doing the manifestation. I'm very clear. That's God's work. My job in the co-creation of it is to get out of my own way mm-hmm. so that he can shower me with miracles. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to let him into the driver's seat in order for that to happen. So when I was a few months into my Torah journey, I was convinced and I knew that I was ready to get married. So I was sitting at a table with a number of my girlfriends and I said, I had the thought in my head, I set the intention that by the end of May of that year, I was going to be married. You were very clear. I was very clear that by the end of May of that year, I was going to be married. Anyways, a month later, I had met the man who's now my husband and our wedding day was on May 29th. Amazing. Okay, so what am I trying to tell you? This is like, what am I translating to you right now? It's, it's obviously there's a lot more behind just saying, you know, I want to be married by the end of May, but that is a big part of it. It's, it's making, it's setting that intention. It's making that declaration. And so a lot of this work I originally learned in India. And then when I brought it to Torah, when I brought it to Israel with me, um, being able to teach and also be a student of manifesting Mm-hmm. Um, through a Torah lens allows Hashem and like just God to be present in all of what I teach, which mm-hmm. just makes my experience and my relationship with God that much more juicy. Yeah. I will, right. <laughs> Ever wondered why the word manifest is used so frequently these days or what people mean by saying that they manifested something in their lives? Well, my guest today is Ayelet Polanski, and she is the creator of The Manifestation Mindset. She's been featured in Mind Body Green, Glamour Mag, Fox News, NBC, and CBS. Ayelet teaches people how to use their thoughts to co-create their reality and is sourced in deep psychology integrated with Kabbalah and Eastern wisdom. People come with blockages and leave with clarity. In this episode, Ayelet and I talk about her own spiritual journey from being in India for six years before moving to Israel, the difference between Eastern culture's focus and the focus um, of the Torah, and adopting a manifesting mindset by getting out of one's own way. If you haven't yet, please leave a review about the show and today's guest on Apple Podcasts and head over to SolomonEzra.com or follow me on Instagram at King underscore Solomon 8 and Facebook Solomon Ezra Berezin to learn more. Also subscribe to my YouTube channel Solomon Berezin to get updates on new videos and podcasts. Finally, you can financially support my podcast by heading to anchor.fm slash Solomon dash Ezra dash Berezin slash support, which will be greatly appreciated and put forth towards better audio equipment. Now onto the show with Ayelet Polanski. I'm here today with Ayelet Polanski. How are you doing today? Awesome. Awesome. Thank God. It's, uh, as I was sharing you, I, I came across hearing a little bit of the stuff you've done as a manifestation coach, meditation uh, teacher, and transformational coach uh, via a couple mutual connections we have. And I felt like I just had to reach out and get connected and learn about all the stuff you're doing given that we have, I can notice a, a strong connection, pa- passion with meditation and all that, you know, all the benefits it brings to life. Um, and then also being Jewish, I wanted to connect and learn a lot about how they, how your um, education and practice in meditation complements your, um, your observant Judaism um, but to start, I'd really love to just hear a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you became, you know, such a, a very well-known transformational coach. Amazing. Okay. Well, first off, thanks for having me. This is exciting. Um, okay. So we'll jump in. How did I become a transformational coach? What's my background? Well, first off, like, do you have 10 years? Because this story is long and it spans the breadth of the last really 13 years of my life um, since I just kind of like had my spiritual awakening. I had lost a good friend who, who passed away and 
Um, at the time, I was living as though I was invincible. I was living as though um, I was going to live forever. And I was taking every day for granted uh, until you lose someone at such a young age. And it kind of just shakes you up. It wakes you up. And it makes you um, reassess why I'm here. It made me reassess why I'm here. What is my purpose? What is my mission? Um, and so that event led me to Barnes and Nobles, to the self-help section. Um, I read a book that fell off the shelf as soon as I walked through that aisle, the self-help aisle. And the book was titled Buddha. Um, and I read it and I was learning about things like meditation and compassion and selflessness and giving. And, um, you know, these weren't concepts that I didn't grow up with per se, but I wasn't taught them. They weren't emphasized. Yeah. Uh, and so that book led to another, led to another, led to another, which eventually a couple years of reading so many books off the self-help section, I said, okay, I've reached a glass ceiling. Mm -hmm. This is my cap, but I know that there's more. Mm -hmm. um, and I said, this can't be it. And so I broke through that glass ceiling and ended up selling tons of money's worth of designer bags, clothes, shoes. And I, I said, this is the turning point in my life. I'm going to leave that materialist life behind. And I'm going to get on a plane and go to India and just see where that takes me. I was open. I was surrendered. Okay. And I was, I was ready to receive the universe's divine guidance. Mm -hmm. So that's the very short version of a very long story. But anyways, I'll cut to the chase. I ended up spending uh, the better part of six years in India at an ashram. I was in and out of many ashrams, but one in particular, um, where we were training our bodies to be submissive to our minds, right? So we were training ourselves to go a month long without solid foods, only water, tea, liquids, that's it. Uh, we were training ourselves to be able to um, really excel in physical feats off of two hours of sleep a night. Um, we were doing all sorts of things, all sorts of things, um, you know, hours and hours a day of meditation, of going into those really difficult, hard places that we usually don't want to confront. But when you're at a place that everybody around you is blindfolded and has their eyes closed for hours, eventually you have no choice but to confront your biggest fears, your childhood traumas, right? All of it. All of it. Okay. And so I allowed all of it to come to the surface. Anyways, I said I was going to cut to the chase. I always do this. <laughs> but uh, I end up after six years, um, I'm in my meditation and I'm doing my visualization work. I'm doing my manifestation work. And this voice keeps trying to come in and knock on the door of my meditation. And, you know, as someone who's meditated, I'm sure you know that if you've got stuff on your mind, it's really hard to focus on whether it's your breath or just your thoughts and just be a witness. Anyways, I entertain this thought, this voice in my head that wanted to come in and interrupt my meditation. And I listened to it and it said so clearly, I remember it as though it was yesterday. Yeah. It said so clearly, I yell it leave this country now and go to Israel. Wow. And so within 30 minutes, I had a flight booked. And the next day I was on a plane with two suitcases, all filled with Indian statues and Indian dresses. I, I did not dress the part to be in Israel. Um, but I was, again, I was surrendered. I was trusting in that divine guidance. Um, I trusted that there was a plan for me. I didn't necessarily care about the how. How was I going to find a place to sleep yeah. that next night, right? When you let go of the how, I'm convinced that God, source, the infinite, call it what you will, yeah. right? He shows up big time and he did show up big time. So uh, yeah, that was four years ago and I haven't left Israel since. And you said it all started about 13 years ago? Yeah. Wow. First of all, that's, that's incredible. Thank you for sharing. It's, it's always kind of like, it, it hits something in me just hearing about the different journeys of our neshamas, of our souls. Um, 
have I have many questions and places to go with that because that's it's awesome because a lot of stories start relatively similar you know either some kind of event or crisis occurs that shakes us up and and has us observe what we've been doing and how we do want to live our life and yours took you to India now what was your connection with with Judaism up into that um, point because my I always felt that my my journey with like uh, and, and connection with Judaism was kind of um, unique compared with maybe others that go, maybe go to a yeshiva or a Jewish place of study. Uh, whereas I went similar to you, it sounds like with into meditation. Um, now I had a close family friend that um, introduced me to it and then introduced me to other kind of meditation work. Um, but it wasn't, and I'd gone to meditation retreats but it wasn't like, I would say, as adventurous, perhaps, or intense as yours getting straight and going to um, India. And, but I, I'd really love to hear about the, your connection with, with Judaism at that point. And then, you know, what the thoughts were that when you finally let go and this pure voice came and said, move to Israel what was that revelation kind of like? Was it like, oh yeah, I'm, like you knew you were Jewish or, or what? Good question. So I definitely knew I was Jewish. And interestingly enough, um, while I was at the ashram in India, one of the... Um, one of the, uh, the, the customs that they took on was everyone at the ashram, all the attendees, all the devotees, many of them took on a Sanskrit name, right? Sanskrit is like their, the Hindu's yeah. sacred language, yeah? And so many of them took on this name and it was very commonplace to do that. And for, for whatever reason or another, I couldn't bring myself to take on a different name. I couldn't do it. I yell it for me, like it just, it like pulls on my soul strings. It just, it's just, it is me. And it was always me. And so even though I was not a practicing Jew, I was far from a practicing Jew, right? Like I was, you know, let's put it this way. The things that the Torah says you shouldn't do, I was doing. There were statues at the ashram, like idols, the whole shebang, yeah. right? So from that perspective, I wasn't a practicing Jew, but culturally, somewhere in my soul, mm -hmm. I was always connected because ironically enough, even though I didn't have a real connection to Torah Judaism, every morning I would wake up and recite Sanskrit mantras. But every night before bed, I recited the Shema, the Shema Yisrael. Okay, so I'm convinced, looking back now in hindsight, yeah. that it was my reciting the Shema every night for six years that got me out of there. It may, it sounds that when you, when you said your connection to your Hebrew, your name, Ayelet, isn't, I remember hearing, um, there's, it might've been like a teaching, a midrash, I don't know, but if somebody like passes out, you know, you, you recite their Hebrew name mm. Mm. And, it, and it kind of brings their, uh, wakes them up. Interesting. Interesting. So I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't know much about yeah. that per yeah. se. I'm sure there's truth to it. Um, and I'm sure it's profound and deep and, and mystical, but uh, I don't know much about it. But I, what I do know is that according to Jewish tradition, um, we believe that a person's name is their essence. Yeah. Okay. So, so for me, I didn't know that at the time about Jewish names. I just knew that I couldn't separate myself from my God-given name. Yeah. So. Anyways, um, so the, yeah, to answer your question, I didn't have so much of a connection with, with Judaism. Um, we, I grew up with parents who were very proud of being Jewish, um, but that was, that, was, that was the extent of it. Wow. Wow. So did you have any idea of what, and this question is because I've spoke with, um, this woman named Russ Devora, and she has this company called Torah Therapeutics. 
And as I was in getting into meditation and, you know, like you spoke about a lot of, you know, persistent thoughts or fears come up and a lot that I had to work through, especially when I went to a 10 day silent meditation retreat was around, um, you know, Judaism and, but it was coming from like a place of fear and we're like, is this going to be idol worship or, or all those kind of, um, I don't want to say irrational because it could have that, but you know, it all was based like from a level of fear. Like I couldn't let go of at the point uh, of putting on tefillin, but when I actually did, and I didn't put on tefillin when I was at the retreat, it was like a huge release. And then when I came home and put on tefillin and prayed, it was like a much closer connection because I wasn't needing it. I wasn't looking at this. Well, I wasn't depending on this physical object to to dictate you know how I feel throughout the day or whatever but so but in that in my experiences there wasn't any actual like idol worship so could could you kind of touch into that a little bit based on because you were in an ashram and and had like you said the statues and all that and so now with your understanding of observant Torah Judaism what's the real kind of difference? What does it mean? Interesting. Um, so, okay, while I was at the ashram, one of the things that I saw and was my ex experience yeah. was that, you know, we had a guru and the guru sat in his guru throne, so mm -hmm. to speak, and all of us sat on the meditation floor, right? Either around him or in front of him. And almost every day before bed, we would receive what was called uh, an energy darshan, which in Hinduism culture, what it means is that the guru places his finger on your third eye and he transfers energy from him oh. to you. Okay. And, and what a lot of people do when they approach the guru is they bow and they place their forehead on his feet. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I'd be looking around me and this, this was throughout my entire six years there, even though I thought that that was a big part of my life's mission and purpose mm -hmm. there. Um, something in my soul said, why are these people bowing to another person? And when I would ask some of my friends at the ashram, why are you bowing to another person? Their response would be, if you think he's a person, then you don't really understand what he is. Wow. And I'm just like, he goes to the bathroom, you know, <laughs> he's like, that he sounds like what they says in, in um, one of the recent Torah portions with uh, how Aaron and Moses um, saw uh, Pharaoh, he would go to the, um, the, the sea to relieve himself. Right, exactly, exactly. And so what's interesting is when I, when I learned that about Pharaoh, I thought about the guru because wow. I said, you know, we see one version of him, right? Mm -hmm. He comes out and he's dressed like royalty and he's walking across the stage floating, but he's aware that there's an audience, you know? Um, but like, what does he do behind closed doors? Nobody knew, nobody knows, nobody knows. So, so what's interesting to answer your original question, which is like, what's the difference between yeah, what I experienced there and what, like Judaism mm -hmm. is that after a while, I started to say something's off here. Something's not right. Why am I bowing down to another person? And also all the miracles that people were experiencing in their life, they attributed it, attributed it to him. Mm -hmm. Right. So again, back to that glass ceiling. I said, even if this guy is tapping into some power, which I'm sure he is, you yeah. know, I mean, whether it's dark forces or light forces, it's not for me to say, but I'm sure he's tapping into something, you know? And so uh, I got to a place where that glass ceiling came back and I said, he can't be the infinite, mm. right? There's, there's who creates something must have created him right? So what is that something? Who is that something? I need to figure it out. 
So I'm very grateful for those six years that got me to Israel. It was a big part of my journey, but you know, I said, I said, I want to experience and access the beyond of beyond of beyond in to infinity and beyond, right? I don't want my spiritual journey to end with the guru. Amazing. So now, now entering Israel, I, you, you jumped on the plane quickly <laughs> within 30 minutes and now you're going to Israel. What's, what's that experience like? Where did you first go? Did you have any idea of, you know, like the holy place of Tzfat is? Uh, I, I don't think, I didn't think like this conversation would kind of go down this, but I'm, you have such a beautiful like soul and this whole journey is amazing. So it's, it really is, it's, it's, it's very meaningful to me. So I, if you're okay with it, just diving more into it. Totally, totally. Ask away. Um, thank you. Also, thank you. Um, I did know what spot was, is. I knew because prior to going to India, when I was in college, I went to college in New York City. Mm-hmm. And when I was in college, I had taken a trip to Jerusalem and I spent a few weeks in seminary. This is prior to my India trip. And so it was when I was in seminary that I had... Uh, gone to Tzfat and really experienced the energy there, right? Also, I'm an air sign and Tzfat is the city of air. So when I entered into that city, my soul felt like it was coming alive. It's hard to put into words. Have you ever been to Tzfat? Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, you know, but it's hard to put into words. Once you're like, you're walking through those cobblestone streets right? You're passing all the blue doors and the windows to all of like these, these synagogues that are ancient, like there's real history there, right? This is like the, we're talking the home, the vortex where Kabbalah, which is the blueprint of all reality, you know, that's where it comes alive. That's, that's where, that's where our tzaddikim are buried. Okay. Our holy sages. So for me, I knew what Svat was. And ironically, even while I was in India, I always felt like my, my heart and my favorite place in the world was Svat. So it's interesting that you mentioned Svat in particular. Wow. So did you go, you went straight there? No. So when I got off the plane from India, okay. So you want like the details. Cool. So uh, I had- That's all right. Totally fine. Um, so I was, when I was still in India, I actually had to sneak back into the ashram to get my belongings because um, I had signed up to go on a bus tour with the guru that was going to be a few months long. And, um, and so just as we were about to depart from the ashram, I had to sneak back in to get my luggage because if they saw me, um, they would have like said, I yell it, come on, let's get on the bus. Wow. Okay. I, I wasn't willing to be convinced. I knew that voice in my head that said, get on a plane now and go to Israel was emmet, was truth. And so I wasn't willing or wanting to be convinced by anyone at the ashram to stay. And so the irony is, I mean, after being in and out of that ashram for six years, I knew everybody there. I knew the people who lived there. I knew the people who were visiting. Okay. I knew everyone there. And when my taxi arrived to the front gate of the ashram to go sneak in to get my belongings, there was a completely new person who I've never seen in six years standing at that gate. Meaning, meaning had it been someone who knew me or I knew them, they would have said, get ready to get on the bus. Okay, but Hashem put someone new there so that I would be able to just get in no problem. Not only that, but the guru called an ashram meeting in the meditation hall for every single person in the entire ashram to meet in the hall while I snuck in. Meaning that normally, if you walk through the, the roads of the ashram, there's people everywhere. They people would have everywhere. you, not physically, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, no, I was totally, there was divine Providence, there was through every nook and cranny of that decision. Like I said, when you don't focus on the how, which is a big part of like what I teach, which is manifestation, mm-hmm. when you don't focus on the how, Hashem takes care of the details for you. Now, so I went and got my luggage 
And on my way to the airport, I called up a family friend of mine who was living in Jerusalem. Okay, now, mind you, I had no desire to be in Jerusalem. At the time, for me, Jerusalem was religious, and that wasn't me. Okay, okay? so at the time. So I said, I'll go hang out in Tel Aviv instead. Okay, there's, there's other yogis, other meditators in Tel Aviv, the beach, it's perfect. I'll go to Tel Aviv. I don't know what the plan is, but I'm just going to go again, surrendered. And I called up my family friend who was born and raised in Jerusalem. And I said, do you happen to know anyone who has a place for me in Tel Aviv? I'm landing in a few hours um, and I have nowhere to stay. And my friend said, oh, that's funny because I just signed a lease on an apartment two weeks ago in Tel Aviv. I have an empty bedroom. You can stay for free as long as you'd like. Amazing, amazing. Again, like God, I call this a forehead kiss from God, right? <laughs> like I, I just, it's just, I'm constantly being routed in the right direction, right? And so I arrived to Tel Aviv and after a month in Tel Aviv, my soul felt like it didn't belong in Tel Aviv. Okay. It knew it belonged in Israel, but everything, like I felt like this magnetic pull, again, hard to put into words, but this magnetic pull that constantly just drew me to Jerusalem, even though I had no interest in being in Jerusalem, mm -hmm. my soul needed to be there. My soul was like, get yourself to Jerusalem ASAP. <laughs> and so after a month of being in Tel Aviv, I took the first apartment in Jerusalem that I, that I found and started learning Torah and just kept diving deeper and deeper and deeper. And now I'm living in the Holy Land in Jerusalem as a Torah-loving Jew. Okay. So now, now diving into, thanks, thanks again. I, that's, it's amazing. I just love hearing it. I hope it helps a lot of other people listening as, as, much, it, as much as it resonates with, with my own soul and journey. When, with all your understanding of the meditation, manifesting all your experiences that you just shared, plus, you know, how we can, we're able to control our thoughts. We're, we're in control of that and our reaction and response to different things. What was attracting eventually to living an Orthodox life? Because I'm, because in, in, and I asked this, um, I, I feel a lot of my curiosity is in that recently because, especially with the different, you know, observances, uh, you know, whether it's Shabbat or eating kosher or whatever, I feel a stronger pull towards, you know, practicing more, um, let's say, religiously. Um, but there's still some kind of like things that I'm, you know, really curious about like I, whether it's like sometimes if I don't observe the Shabbat, you know, an orthodox way, it's almost like I, like you were saying, it's like a magnetic pull or a more of a connection to Hashem because it's almost like don't, don't observe it that way. It needs to be done, you know, out of joy. So I'd rather you not to do it right now that, that way for the next one to be, you know, even greater. So could you, could you touch on that a little bit? Yeah. So uh, if I'm understanding the question yeah. correctly, the first thing I heard you say was like, what drew me to becoming Orthodox, mm -hmm. right? Like, why Orthodoxy? Why not something else? Yeah. Especially um, with all your understanding of, um, you know, meditation, your mindset, um, and, and all that goes into that. So what I will say is um, over the last 13 years, I've had, thank God, a very rich spiritual, many rich spiritual experiences. Aside mm -hmm. from India, I also spent some time in the Amazon jungle um, living with shamans in tree houses mm -hmm. and learning about medicine and plants and, you know, the likes. And so uh, I also learned a lot about Buddhism and spent some time in Sri Lanka. And so it wasn't just Hinduism. Hinduism was the big chunk of time, but there were a lot of the other isms that I also studied. Um, not to mention, I was born and raised in America. So I understood what also Western culture was like. Mm -hmm. So what drew me the most and what woke up my soul the most was coming to Torah. Why? Because what I came to realize was 
of all the isms, right? The West, uh, not the West Coast, the, the, in the West, Western culture, yeah. a lot of it um, has to do with materiality, right? Materialism, right? It's, it's almost like we've created um, things and turned them into gods, right? Our iPhones. Yeah. I, think, I think that's the one thing that if someone loses, they freak out the most, their phone, right? There, we, we look at our phone more than we look at anything else. Yeah. throughout our day right so we've almost come to like worship our phones our mirrors our purses our stuff right that's western religion i'll call it right now the east in the east it's a lot a lot of it revolves around uh, transcending the physical transcending the body being above right being celibate for example um, being able to live without solid food for example, uh, you know, go sitting on a mountaintop for hours, meditating, mm-hmm. uh, living without sleep, like all these things, we were training our bodies to be able to transcend the physical. And as much as I could appreciate a lot of things about Western culture, I appreciate a lot of things about Eastern culture. I appreciate a lot of things about shamanic culture, right? Because there's truth in all of it. Yeah ultimately. But what drew me to Torah, Judaism, is that it is a, it is the place where heaven and earth kiss, right? It's the place where the physical meets the spiritual, right? We have all these laws, all these restrictions, right? But not because God is an evil God who doesn't want us to experience pleasure, but even more so the opposite, right? Because God is the ultimate creator and a creator understands his creation, right? Like he, he purposely gave us these laws and put them in place so that we could experience the deepest joys in life without getting sick of them, right? And that's what halacha is. That's what Torah is. Torah is all about creating boundaries, okay? Um, I mean, Torah is all about really developing a relationship with your yeah. higher but the boundaries are there so that even like if we talk about the laws of intimacy between husband and wife right there's a certain amount of time every single month that a husband and wife are forbidden from even touching hugging kissing holding hands they can't touch right and it's not god didn't put that into into being because he's evil again he did that because he wants us even more so he understands that too much of anything we'll get sick of mm-hmm. okay so the idea is every month when a husband and wife come back together it's again it's a meeting of the spiritual and physical let's take something that can be really physical such as intimacy and really dirty right in a sense right we have pornography all that it can be yeah. really and let's make it as spiritual and filled with light and divinity and holiness, Kedusha, as we possibly can. So what we're taught is that every month when a husband and wife are now allowed again, you know, to to be in relations, it's it's like they're reliving their wedding day every single month. Who doesn't want to relive their wedding day every single month, right? So what drew me to Judaism more than any of the other isms was that I realized, wow, I can have my cake and eat it too, and also implement some of what I took from India, which is still having boundaries and laws and restrictions over my physical urges, my physical drives, my animalistic soul, right? So, so for me, it just resonated as so much truth. And it didn't take me years and years or even months of learning Torah for me to understand that this is God-given, that this is divine. It just made so much wow. sense to me. I, I was keeping Shabbat after one month of, and I haven't, and I'm keeping Shabbat since after one month of burning. Amazing. So it's, we, in Judaism, it's, it's truly that compared with like, whereas other um, um, religions or, you know, Buddhism, whatever, whatever, um, Hinduism, whatever they have, like an original kind of, let's say founder or teacher, who kind of channeled some divine book, but in Judaism, we we truly believe that actually that the Torah was actually 
it wasn't like Moses, you know, tapped into such a high reality that he then brought it down, but that was actually given from God. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, have you ever, when you were younger, played the game of telephone? Yeah. Okay, so if you imagine the game of telephone, right? How many people does it take to play the game before the message, original message gets broken? It could be like two. One, two, two people. From between the first and the second person, one word is already off, right? And then between the sec second and third person, a couple words are off. By the time it gets to 10 people, we're talking, we're talking cucumbers versus bananas. Like it's two totally different species, right? Um, so if you think of like the divine revelation, if you think of like when God revealed himself at Mount Sinai, we were millions of people, okay? Imagine millions of people now sharing the Torah with their kids, who share it with their kids, who share it with their kids, who share it with their kids. At some point, right, six million people all hearing the same message, something's gonna break in that, in that line of, of transmission. Right? So the fact that the Torah has stayed the same for thousands of years and has not gotten broken, and all it takes is one little middle school party of 10 people to break the game of telephone, the original message, that goes to show you that something here, like we, you can't, you almost like, it's hard to question that logic. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah, 100%. Awesome. So now let's dive a lot into your practice. I know that's uh, what I wanted to, that's what I was preparing, learning about all, how you're helping all, with all this experience and your whole journey and that's led you to today. And thank you again for sharing all of that. I hope it helps, like I said earlier, I hope it helps everyone listening as much as it really just resonates with myself. How did it all translate and, and help you with now your practice today when you come across all the different individuals you're helping? Good question. So when, uh, when I was in India, that's when I originally got introduced to this concept, this idea of manifestation, mm -hmm. which means ultimately using your thoughts mm -hmm. to translate into speech, to translate into a manifested desire, your reality, right? Whatever it is you want, you think about it, and it turns into some sort of manifestation in your real physical world, mm -hmm. right? So, um, so for example, when I was, uh, in, when I first got to Israel, not first got to Israel, but a few months in, when I realized what I was meant to be doing here, um, I was ready to manifest. And when I say manifest, I mean, I always mean co-create yeah. co-create meaning I'm not the one doing the manifestation. I'm very clear. That's God's work. My job in the co-creation of it is to get out of my own way. Mm -hmm so that he can shower me with miracles, okay? Um, I have to let him into the driver's seat in order for that to happen. So when I was a few months into my Torah journey, I was convinced and I knew that I was ready to get married. So I was sitting at a table with a number of my girlfriends and I said, I had the thought in my head, I set the intention that by the end of May of that year, wow. I was gonna be married. You were very clear. I was very clear that by the end of May of that year, I was gonna be married. Anyways, a month later, I had met the man who's now my husband and our wedding day was on May 29th. Amazing. Okay, so what am I trying to tell you? This is like, what am I translating to you right now? It's, it's obviously there's a lot more behind just saying, you know, I wanna be married by the end of May, but that is a big part of it. It's, it's making, it's setting that intention. It's making that declaration. And so a lot of this work I originally learned in India. And then when I brought it to Torah, when I brought it to Israel with me, um, being able to teach and also be a student of manifesting mm -hmm. um, through a Torah lens allows Hashem and like just God to be present in all of what I teach, which mm -hmm. just makes my experience and my relationship with God that much more juicy yeah I will right <laughs> you're taking the, the same words I'm thinking in my head you're you're saying like I was thinking declaration and and um, juicy 
Yeah. Um, did you find the more and more you learned Torah and even began uh, observing Shabbat, all of it, that the manifesting almost became easier? Like, like some things, some things, especially at a beginning, a, a beginner's journey of somebody who may be listening, you know, just getting into the concept of, um, uh, of manifesting, you know, realizing all, all the truths, you know, your thoughts create your reality, et cetera. You know, like you're saying, you just let go of the how, you just got to get clear on the what and the why you want it. The how gets easier. There are some things, you know, it may be somebody, it's very easy for them because of their probably lower connection or attachment to, you know, something, let's say, you know, they want a cool new bike and it's really easy for them to get a new bike. But when it comes to manifesting something they, you know, really, really want, it's perhaps a little bit uh, more challenging. Um, did you ever have experience with that? And if so, did the Torah and all that you were just sharing help with kind of getting your out of your own way? 100%. Torah made manifesting so much easier because what I'll say is uh, when I was in India, the cognition, the um, relationship that we had with manifesting was look what I manifested, right? That's the, that's the, the thinking behind it. Look how powerful I am. Look what I manifested. Look what I'm capable of. It felt very egocentric and even something in that felt off to me, yeah. right? And so when I came to Israel and I started learning and teaching manifestation through a Jewish lens, it just allowed me to relax so much more into the receiving part of receiving the miracles because I realized God's creativity is so much more creative than anything my human mind can possibly come up with in terms of the how. You know, I have a thought, how am I possibly going to get married by May? That's six months away, right? <laughs> how is that possibly going to happen? Yeah. I get caught up on the how, I block myself from getting out of my own way. So having this relationship with Hashem allowed me to say constantly throughout my day, I'm constantly saying, Hashem, I let go. I put you in the driver's seat. I'm coming along for the ride. Do you feel that with that stronger connection that once somebody gets to that level, like maybe not even, maybe not say level, but uh, at that time you were clear, you know, you created and set the intention of getting married by the end of uh, May. Um, do you, did you kind of get to a point that you're so connected and so trusting in, in Hashem and Hashem's creativity, as you said, and, and guidance, that there's no even real need to set, you know, an intention of something you want? Really good question. I get that one a lot. Okay. Uh, so this is why I say that manifestation is a co-creative endeavor, mm. right? Ultimately, Hashem, God knows what I want, right? But if, if Hashem was in control and he just gave everyone what they wanted 24 seven because he knows what people wants, what, what people want, then there would be no reason for him to create us in the first place or he would have created us like robots or like angels, right? Where we have no free will. Yeah. So this whole idea around having free will and having the ability to choose and make decisions for ourselves, for our lives, am I gonna go left? Am I gonna go right? Which which crossroads, which where, yeah. which, the fork in the road, what decision am I going to make? It's decisions that create our identity, right? That, that determine what the next manifestation is going to be. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's why Hashem put us here, yeah. right? Was that we could have a say. Hashem did not create a nation of beggars. Most people, when they, I wouldn't say most people, but people often when they go to pray or ask for something, it comes in the form of begging yeah. or complaining right? Or crying from a place of lack, right? But when you're asking for something from a place of lack, then what you're saying is that, God, I don't believe in your infiniteness and that you can create any possibility for me, 
right? So a, a cognition, a, a mindset of lack manifests more lack. Exactly. A mindset of abundance manifests more abundance, right? So um, yeah, I'm not sure if I lost track of your original question, but. Uh... No, it's all good. It's, it's truly about, like you said, tapping in and generating and realizing that you know you're you're whole and abundant now and it just attracts more of that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wow yeah and also just you know the way i see it in terms of this co-creative mm -hmm. endeavor manifestation being a co-creation it's almost like right i have a 14 month old and so he's just learned how to walk and so it's like what he tends to do now is he'll grab my hand and he'll take me where he wants to go, mm. right? If he wants to go off a cliff, let's say, I'm obviously going to pull him back. Yeah. I'm going to stop him, right? Like me as his quote unquote higher power replacement, right? Like he gets to decide where he wants to go, but within a certain amount of mm. Like, I know what's right for him. I know what's good for him. So I'm going to give him free will and his, I'm going to allow his creativity to, to, to just fly organically, but I'm going to navigate that a bit, you yeah. know? So similarly, like I, I want him to be able to make decisions for himself. I don't want to be the entity that's constantly deciding for him. Mm -hmm. So it's a creative endeavor. It, it, you, um, I'm happy you brought that up. It reminded me, we were talking about, I had the question on, uh, if there's even a need to create like a, a clear intention anymore, if you're just so tapped in. But it also reminded me, it gets, the more and more we begin to listen to like our intuition or that emet, that truth, like you were sharing, it's almost like your body or because we begin listening to the soul so much more, it's almost like the body throws a fit and makes it so clear, you know, if you're not on, if you're if you're going towards a path that maybe you 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 shouldn't I hesitate saying like shouldn't but maybe let's say just not the optimal path like you knew when you were leaving that ashram to go to Israel like it was so clear like if you would have tried to you know stay there it, it I'm sure that voice would have got louder and louder oh, as yeah. it does. And I just, it's like I, those experiences in my, in my own life, it's like, doesn't seem clear. And then you make a decision and then it's like quickly God sends signals like, nope, nope, <laughs> get, get back over there. Mm -hmm. So a big part of what I learned as a result of meditating every mm -hmm. single day was how to listen to that voice and act upon it. Right. I, you won't, I'm not the type of person who will sit and do like an internal cheshbon. Cheshbon means like a, an accounting, an internal like checks and balances, uh -huh. right? Do I do this? Do I do that? Should I go here? Should I go there? Should I, yes? Should I know? I won't drive myself crazy. Like when I know, I know, and I yeah. go with it. And so I call it like the, you're right. When you, like you said, the soul might want something, but the body is going to advocate to go in the opposite direction. Well, so even that's that is yes but i was even saying like when you begin listening to the soul so much it's like because the body begins to want what the soul wants like when uh -huh. you have them aligned so then it's like the the soul will even like through the body push you back onto the right side not like the animalistic side pulling towards those desires totally but that takes time and that yeah. takes practice and that takes repetition because what we're doing you know, is ultimately when someone comes to Torah anew after living a non-Torah lifestyle is for years and years and years of not living a Torah lifestyle, you've created neural pathways in your brain, like actual neural pathways that every time you've made a decision to go for that second or third piece of chocolate cake, right? That neural pathway has now become a habit. Yeah. It's become a behavior and it's been learned and it's been conditioned in you, right? So, so we just do the same things over and over and over because we've got billions of neural pathways that have formed our identity, who we are. And then we come to Torah and it's like, we're being asked at the beginning to literally go against 
that identity, those behavioral patterns that we're so used to. Mm -hmm. you know, and we're asked to go against it in a way or to act differently from what we're used to. So at the beginning, it can really create a lot of like confusion, you know, at the beginning, at the beginning, because the soul wants one thing, but the body wants another. And intellectually, you know, something's right, but physically you're like, but is it right? I don't really right. understand. And so we ask all these questions. But what I would say is like for someone who is in that place, right, where they're just coming to Torah is like, I promise you just stick with it. Stick with it. Yeah. Stay on that tightrope. Stay on that tightrope. See your goal, your vision at the end of that tightrope. That's what means to envision yourself into a new desired future. Yeah. The more you envision that desired future that you want to see manifest, mm -hmm. right, the more you start breaking down those old neural pathways till eventually they don't exist anymore. Yeah. And you look back a year later, two years later, three years later, and you're like, wow, I'm completely transformed. That's a miracle. Yeah, you, you brought up the science and we didn't dive into it uh, perhaps in the next time, but that's the language that I love so much that explains so much of the mystical and this meditation as well, because it just uses it on a cellular level, how, well, you know, what, what a habit is in the first place and that, you know, to, to untangle it, neurologically speaking you just have to change change the response and that's what makes it you know maybe challenging when it gets to releasing that behavior because you've just been do, doing it for so for so long so it's not like you're do you're doing something wrong or whatever it's just a matter of the actual you know physiological process so it's i just love uh, I, I wonder if you'd had you ever um read Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Dr. Joe Dispenza. Mm -hmm. I was just at his uh, week-long retreat last November. Those are awesome. Oh, man. You just you you just pulled a cord with me because we're actually traveling to visit my in-laws uh, in California, and he's doing a week-long retreat. And so I've been trying to, like, see if I can get, a, get myself there. But, you know, with a 14-month-old, there's certain things that have to be worked out. But anyways... I, I'm so happy. I, if I had I known, have I brought had I brought up uh, his all his work earlier, uh, would have that would have been a whole nother conversation on its own. But that's oh, yeah. the meditation will, that I've been practicing. I will say it's funny that you mention him because yeah. I just started on Instagram a manifestation book club where mm -hmm. every month I dive into a different book, a new book that I choose, and I connect that book to manifestation, and so. Next month's book is Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Okay. So it's so interesting. Had you, had you read um, Becoming Supernatural as well? No, I've only read Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself of his books. Wow, I, you'll, you'll love them. And uh, if, when you make a chance and the uh, being at the retreat manifests, you'll enjoy it as well. I'm in, I'm in. Uh, well, this has been awesome. So... I've, I've, I, I see a couple of your things you're doing on, uh, you know, Facebook, on social media. You have the, you have your manifestation menu stuff. That's really cool. Um, the daily tidbits, which are fun, just nice, short, but very powerful messages. Um, I even saw that you had like your own meditation retreat coming up shortly. Mm -hmm. Is that mm -hmm. something you do often? So, yeah, I've been leading retreats for many years all over the world. I really love doing it because that's really where the magic happens. Yeah. You know, you take a big group of people, put them together, that collective consciousness, we're all meditating together. We're all manifesting and visualizing together. I mean, miracles really, I get, I get emails years later after my, some of my retreats from participants who attended and they tell me things that they've manifested as a result of the intentions they set mm -hmm. at those retreats. So it's really miraculous. Yeah. Thank God. Wow. Thank God. And, and what, one of the things that we're, uh, that we're doing now because of COVID, like you said, I'm doing, I'm, I'm, the intention was to do a retreat in February this month, but in Israel, there is a lockdown. So we are moving it to, uh, to God willing May or June. Um, but in the meanwhile, cause I don't want people to have to wait that long to keep experiencing manifestation, so I'm creating a whole online manifestation university. 
for people, which is really, really exciting. Yeah. That's awesome. It's, it's truly been a pleasure connecting with you. What, what, what is your own current, current, uh, like daily practice with meditation? Um, so for me, I spend 21 minutes a day okay. doing visualization work. And so, you know, to break it down in a nutshell, um, I'm writing down my intention, my desire. I'm writing down any of my doubts or disbeliefs or, or um, blockages that I believe are stopping me from already having that desire be manifest. And then I spend 21 minutes with my eyes closed, envisioning myself in that desired future all, as though it's already mine. Mm -hmm. And so I do 21 days of 21 minutes of a new desire all day. Whenever something happens, whenever, like my husband and I are now like constantly, constantly doing 21 day, you know, challenges, you can call them, where we are visualizing and manifesting every day. So cool. You're able and you're able to kind of jump right in within the 20 minutes, like the yeah. 21 minutes, because ever since I practiced the like Joe Dispenza's and, and even being at the meditation retreat, it's like anything less than, you know, an hour, hour and a half is just not, it's not, it's, it's not enough. I hear that. I do hear that. Yeah. So I mean, when I was in India, we would meditate for eight hours at Straight. a time. Straight. Oh my gosh. The longest I did was like four and a half. That's also a lot. That's also, that's more than that was, I was, I was at his retreat. Wow. But eight has, hours. Yeah. Eight hours. So for me, it's, 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 if you do this as a daily practice, mm -hmm. 21 minutes is a magic number. Now, not everyone has 21 minutes. I think even 11 minutes is good. I would say the real key here is to make it daily, whether it's five minutes, 11 minutes, 21 minutes, 90 minutes, the real magic happens when you work that muscle every single day, because it's one thing to sit and do a meditation for 90 minutes and then not meditate again for a few months, right? I would say the better of the two options is take a short amount of time, but make it daily, make it consistent. Yeah. Nice. I was just, uh, I have a client I'm helping break a, an addiction to something. And so I just introduced meditation to him yesterday. So we'll have to take that advice with make creating kind of short ones just to create that habit. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, I know we're, we're coming close to a, an hour here. I, I was, I just was so interested in, in hearing all about your story and all your work um, just to kind of slowly conclude. Um, can you share a little bit all that, all you've been doing, like you just mentioned the book club things and um, how you're helping the different clients you have the, um, your med four week course, I think still online, your website uh, shows and, uh, yeah, all that you're building towards and working towards and, uh, God willing, we'll, we'll have another call. <laughs> That'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Ultimately, I mean, I'm seeing clients one-on-one -on -one, mainly mm -hmm. now for amount of, I am a therapist. Yeah. Um, so I do see some clients for therapy, but really what I, what I, love to do and dive into is I have a three month manifestation program that I do one-on-one -on -one where we really start to uncover and reveal what are the blockages that are getting in the way of a person manifesting their soulmate, manifesting their dream career, manifesting their dream job. Um, and so ultimately by the end of those three months, you leave with a manifestation mindset. Manifesting becomes your norm, not the exception to the rule. Right. So that's like a main thing that I do. And then um, also, if anyone is interested in taking advantage of the online classes that I'm going to be putting together on this portal, um, you can there. We haven't launched yet. We're launching in the next mm -hmm. two months. Um, and so there is a waiting list. So if anybody wants between now and then to get on the waiting list, they can go to the manifestation mindset .co, not .com themanifestationmindset.co and you'll receive a free three-part mini series. That's like an introduction to manifestation. And then people who take that course will be the first to find out about the bigger online manifestation university. Awesome. Exciting things. I yell at how can people get in contact with you other than that website? Or check Instagram. out what you're doing. Instagram. 
Instagram, Facebook, Ayelet Polanski, um, or you could just email me at ayeletpolanski at gmail.com. But I'd say, you know, social media is, is where I'm at a lot these days. Awesome. Thanks again so much for coming on, making the time to speak with me. I know you're eight hours ahead or seven hours ahead of me. Uh, it's, been, it's been a real, real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Solomon. I really enjoyed. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening. I hope this episode brought you some really great value. If you enjoyed any of these episodes or would like to hear more, please leave me a review on Apple or Anchor Podcast. I'm always looking out for topics to learn and talk about, gifts to share, and value to bring to us all. For more updates, please check out SolomonEzra.com. That's S-O-L-O-M-O-N-E-Z-R-A. That's where you can also sign up for newsletters, read about blogs, and hear my different podcasts. Take care.